0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. We are in uh, chapter 18 of Matthew's Gospel this morning, and uh, several verses in. The chapter begins with the disciples asking who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And it seems that they are looking for uh, some kind of power or position. They're looking for earthly type authority. And uh, we know that those that are grasping after power are using it out of fear. The disciples are acting out of fear and wanting to gain power to protect themselves or to assert some kind of agenda for themselves. And Jesus takes them, as he always does, into the conversation that he's having with the Father. The conversation that he's having with the Father is about the lost and about seeking them. And he says, seek the lost and take up those who are like a little child. And he gathers a little child uh, to him and says um, that we're supposed to be seeking the lost sheep, that this um, is our focus and he brings them into this ministry that the Father has given him to protect and to guide and to serve those who are lost. We see a beautiful image of this in the prophet Ezekiel. In chapter 33, he gives us um, a kind of an allegorical understanding for protecting and serving those who are lost. Uh, He talks about the watchman for Israel and he says set a watchman on the tower and the watchman is going to look for uh, the sword to come and the watchman has a job right so he says uh, in Ezekiel uh, 33 um, uh, in verses 3, 4 and 5 he says that if he if the watchman gives his warning the way that he's supposed to and the people do not respond to the warning their blood is on their own head Right? So they've heard the warning, and they haven't taken it. The responsibility for that is not on the watchman. He says, but if the watchman does not give the warning, and the people are killed, then he says, his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. This is a very powerful warning. So he says the watchman has a responsibility to tell the people a sword is coming. And this is the kind of allegory or analogy um, that uh, the Lord uses uh, to have people say, well, of course. It's very straightforward, isn't it? It's very simple, right? Your job is to warn the people, and if you don't warn them, it's your responsibility. If you warn them and they don't leave, it's on them. It's very straightforward. But then the Lord uses it according to the threat that comes from inside. And that's where things change. The threat from outside is very easy, and this is why the Lord sets up the nation of Israel. This is why He has King David. This is why He has the tabernacle, and why He has all of these physical things, because all of this is a dollhouse. It's all a teaching for how to understand how to live life, right? All of these examples from the Old Testament are are dollhouse living for young children. We give a child a doll and we say, this is how you are compassionate. This is how you care for somebody. This is how you provide for somebody. And then eventually we take the doll away and we give them the real relationship. This is what the Lord's doing for his people. He's saying, I've given you a dollhouse in the kingdom of Israel. I've given you basic understanding of the roles to play. And now there is a real spiritual interior life that you are required to to have for yourself and he says here in verse um, 7 so he's given the analogy and now he's going to apply it to the interior life so you I've made a watchman for the house of Israel if I say to the wicked O wicked one you shall surely die you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn on his way that wicked person shall die in his iniquity So now he's talking about wickedness of sin and the responsibility of the prophet of the people of God to warn one another about the dangers of sin. We know that the danger of sin is death, separation from God. And so he says, if you don't warn them about sin, if you don't warn them about the sin that they're participating in, the responsibility will be on you. His blood I will require at your hand. But he says, if you warn the wicked to turn away, and he does, you've delivered his soul. So now we see the real importance, the real call, which is not to save the physical body from death, because they're going to die. These bodies die. We're, all of our bodies are going to die in a very short time. And after two generations, nobody will remember us. We'll be forgotten. Nobody will be able to tell what our favorite flavor was. Nobody will be alive to remember. All that's going to go away. But we are able to be famous and known by one person. And that's God. And we are going to be remembered by Him in eternity if we turn our souls towards Him. If we are obedient to Him, if we heed the warning of the watchman and turn, you will have delivered your soul. And of course then the question is, how can we live? How can we do this? Right? And He describes... He describes repentance. Turn back from your evil ways. Repentance is that very complex spiritual discipline. You remember what it looks like? See how complex that was? I'll show you again. Right? Turn from your evil ways, saying, oh, I was living this way, and now I've been reminded that the way of God is this way, and so I go this way. And our responsibility to do this for one another is the definition of the life of the church. This is what Jesus teaches the disciples. We are not here for individual worship or individual prayer. Our opportunity to be alone with the Lord, to be quiet in reflection with the Lord was about two hours ago. If you missed it, that's okay. You're going to get a chance tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, wake up. If you need to get up a little early before everybody else, do that. I know the pain of that. So that we can be alone with the Lord. This is not alone time. This is together worshiping time. This is encouraging time. This is warning time. This is reminding time. This is encouraging one another time. And Jesus tells the disciples, this isn't about you and your power and authority, this is about us turning each other towards the ways of God. And so he gives this beautiful explication of a simple a simple understanding of one brother sinning against another. Right, so we're going to start again with what's simple. We're starting with the, with the children's task, right? You hurt me, you sinned against me, I go to you and say, you committed this sin against me. That's the first level, right? And if our brother repents, we've saved his soul. And his blood will not be on our head. Win-win. He repents from sin, and I'm not responsible if he continues in his wickedness. Right? If a brother steals from me, if a brother calls me a name, right? if a brother does anything to defame me, Right? And I don't go and correct him, his continuing in that is on my head. Right? Right? If I correct him and he continues in righteousness, I have kept my soul from being guilty for his sin and I've saved him. That's incredible. That's the multiplicity of grace. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work. And the person continues. And he says, then go and get two or three others. Right? Because we find the Lord in agreement. Right? We come together as the church to be in agreement. We are gathered this morning in His name. Right, And anytime we do anything, whether we're having a meeting on a Saturday morning or we're having a group on Wednesday night or we're doing something on Zoom, we're gathering in the name of Jesus to be agreed upon his message of salvation right, and his call to repentance. That's what we're doing. If we're not doing that, we're not really doing anything. That's our job. And so if two or three come and we are able to correct our brother, again, we've kept ourselves from being guilty of that sin for his blood being on our heads and we've saved his soul. If gathering with two or three doesn't do it, then we bring it to the whole church. And we might think that it is in some way cruel to say if that person doesn't repent, they're cut off and is a Gentile or a tax collector. But that's just recognizing the situation as it is. That is that if a person does not respond to the call to repentance, they're not participating in the church. And they're committing a sin against the Holy Spirit because they're calling evil good and and good evil. They're unable to repent. And so to say you're a Gentile and a tax collector is simply to state the condition that the person in the church are in. We've been cut off because of our lack of repentance, our lack of success, and getting the other to repent. Now, there's nothing um, magical about this. Sometimes Christians, like the rest of the world, get caught up in some kind of magical thinking. And they think that, oh, because I'm going to use the name of Jesus in my prayer, or because we're going to gather two or three people and use the name of Jesus, because we've set our own standard, or we've set our own principle, and then the three of us are going to say the name of Jesus together, and somehow this is magically going to have us in agreement with God, is ridiculousness, right? We are submitting to the will of God. We are all coming together and we're submitting to His will, discerning His will together. Which, if you've ever tried to do that with a group of people, really hard. Right? To sit with two or three people and say, we're we're not going to do what I want to do. We're going to figure out what the Lord wants us to do. Really hard to do. But it's the role of the church and it's what we're here to do today. And if we can't do it, We are not, if we can't do that, if we can't call each other to repentance, this next part by St. Paul will just sound ridiculous. If you and I can't call each other to repentance, if we can't take responsibility for each other in calling each other to righteousness, The idea that we're going to be able to bless our persecutors will seem ridiculous. (coughs) We'll say to one another, Bless them? Those people that harmed us? It will seem the height of foolishness. The only way that we'll be able to bless our persecutors is if we all together have been repenting and receiving forgiveness. If we all have been together repenting and receiving forgiveness, then we recognize that we're in the same state as those who are persecuting us. We too are fallen and broken sinners in need of mercy and grace. And when somebody persecutes us, we'll say, oh, you're just like me. You're in need of the saving grace of God. And let me tell you about his love. If we haven't been receiving repentance and forgiveness, we'll become angry and resentful at our persecutors and we'll try to practice vengeance. In other words, we'll put our place, ourselves into the place of God. Because He's the only one that can have vengeance. Why is that? Because it requires to know the heart of the person. You and I know intention is so important, right? What a person intends, where their heart is, what it is that they're trying to accomplish and there's only one person that knows that and that's the Lord you and I don't know that about ourselves right sometimes we like to fool ourselves and think that we know our own mind if you think own, you know your own mind go to a donut store or an ice cream store right and you'll soon realize I really don't know what I want right we can't even do those simple things without dithering we don't know our own hearts They're fickle. They change back and forth. The Lord is the only one that knows the heart. And so who can rightly judge? That's his job. Our job is to practice repentance. To be amazed by grace. So that we can to others say, I have been amazed by God's love and grace. That's the conversation we're having. We're having a conversation about, He saved me. He's given me hope. He's given me new life. He's given me freedom. He's given me love. That's the conversation you and I are having. And so anybody who persecutes or anybody who desires evil or wants to do evil, the only conversation that we want to have is about the love of God and that turn of repentance so that they too can receive the grace and mercy. That we have received. How now shall we live? How shall we live? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to call your brothers and sisters to repent? Even if they get frustrated, or angry, or embarrassed? Because that's the work of the church. And we have each other's hearts and souls in our hands. This is important work that we are about today. May we be watchmen. And may we warn one another of the danger that is at hand.